What'd he say about me? He got real riled when he mentioned you. He said, the slower he ran away, the slower you chased him. He said he waited for you in uh, Albuquerque. Even sent word where he was, but you never showed up. He said you ought to be able to catch him now, but that if you ever come any ways close to his grave, he reach up and grab you. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys, uh, hope when you looked in the mirror, you saw us behind you offering you a new episode of Strange Highways. Like, not a oh. gun, not a knife, not poison Very wine, slowly. Very slowly. And, you know, seductively. I don't know. <laughs> and, and drunkenly. And drunkenly, <laughs> yeah. Here's some wine. Oh, you turn around, it's gone. It's like, I don't know what happened to it. No, so. Yeah, it was, it was a rough uh, episode for me last week. Came from the Tiki Bar. Uh, finish the episode, ran right out to see Mission Impossible. It was a uh, it was a long night. So <laughs> as long as you I just feel never stopped. Running. I feel like it was a fever dream uh, talking about the mirror last week. So hope, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I I know I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was quite fun. And for for an episode that we didn't have a lot to talk about, I think the like the conversation that wasn't about the episode was quite enjoyable. So yeah. all right, so we're gonna have a lot to say about this one though. Well, you can cross sober off of our list of things that we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? Um. Oh, the best men. Uh, good good men, reliable and sober. Not really. So all right. Uh. Yeah. This episode is the Grave, season three, episode seven, air date. October 27th, 1961. So this is uh, the Twilight Zone's Halloween offering for that year. Um, and that's purposely sort of. so. Well, well, yeah. well like programming-wise, that's actually what happened. They, they kind of kept this one in mind. And we'll talk about that more later. Um, yep. <clears throat> number one film, West Side Story. We mentioned that previously. This is going to be around for a while. Number one song, Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean and his uh, his breakfast sausage, uh, whatever. Uh, Big Bad John. That's a that's a cool tune. So that's yeah, that's it cool. is yeah. good sausage too. Yeah, good sausage. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so what happened on this on on today's date actually goes back to last week when we mentioned uh, on October twenty second when Chubby Checker performed the twist and ended up reviving that song and we joked about it. So on that day, this this was the start of what was called the Berlin Crisis, which I didn't realize was a thing. Um, this was two months after the construction of the Berlin Wall. Um, a deputy chief of the U.S. Uh, mission in the West Berlin and his wife were stopped and tried to cross, drive across like the checkpoint Charlie in the wall. And he didn't have, or he refused to produce his identification, and so this became like an like a, a international event. So hmm. the Russians were getting upset, the Americans were like matching it, right? So this kind of went on until the till today, October twenty seventh, nineteen sixty one. 
Five days after the initial incident involving Albert Hemsing, the guy who would not produce his identification to the German guards or Russian guards, 33 Soviet tanks drove to the Brandenburg Gate to confront American tanks on the other side of the border. Ten of the tanks continued to um, some German place that I can't pronounce right, stopping 50 to 100 meters from the checkpoint on the Soviet side of the sector boundary. The standoff between the tanks of both nations continued for 16 hours before both sides withdrew. Just because what Americans like, I'm not showing you my papers five days later, like, you know, two dozen tanks from both countries, from Russia and U.S., were facing off and almost starting a huge international conflict. I did not, I was not aware of this. Like you talk no, about, it, yeah. The, the only thing I really know, I think they reference it. Uh, have you ever seen Funeral in Berlin with uh, Michael Caine? No. Um, I think they reference it in that because uh, that whole movie is him sneaking a uh, uh, ambassador over or through the wall and everything over the border. Um, so I think they reference it in that. But I, I didn't really know exactly what the Berlin conflict was. And that's insane. Like I've heard Checkpoint Charlie, right? Like you hear. I'm so glad of, things yeah. have uh, settled down so much since <laughs> yeah. then. I'm glad that um, I'm glad that. Uh, that that you know America and Russia don't have any problems whatsoever anymore. No, and, everything's great. Yeah, so I mean at least at least Germany is back together. You know that's nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and it brought us Atomic Blonde last year, which was a pretty okay movie. So there you go. So yeah, so yeah. thanks Germany. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> for that American movie. <laughs> yeah, um, that's all I got. Like, and by all, I mean, that's a pretty significant story that I didn't realize happened. So, but that's what happened. So I want to believe yeah. that Chubby Checker inspired the guy to not show his papers and be like, you know what? Chubby checkers doing him. I'm going to do me. I'm not going to show my papers to this guy. At Checkpoint here's, Charlie. Here's the twist. Here's uh, the, here's, here's the <laughs> twist. I'm not showing my ID. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I like the chubby checker almost caused international conflict. That's what I want to believe. I'm just happy that this is Halloween weekend in twilight zone world, because as I always say every year, uh, August is always the time I start getting that itch. We're yeah. getting close to Halloween. Um, I did not find any any uh, um, October beers yesterday when I went to go buy beer, so I'm happy to yeah, report they're all out there. They're uh, out. Uh, all all these breweries are pushing these beers out earlier and earlier because they're terrified to have them stuck in the market past the season. Because November first, that beer just sits there. It's done. Yeah, I you know whatever. So I, mean, I understand, but I also don't want to drink pumpkin beer mid July. When no. it's 90 degrees outside. <laughs> and then when you go and try and find them on Halloween, you can't find anything because it's all Christmas ale out there. Yeah. It sucks. So I still argue that it's not Halloween times, but I know you're proving me wrong. So, Well, I'm holding on to summer until after we go to Hawaii. But once we get back to Hawaii, it's September 1st. <laughs> well, I already saw I'm, I saw Halloween candy at the local grocery stores like a couple days ago. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The craft stores have all the stuff out. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. But yeah, September 1st is when I really kick it in. But I start getting a little itch. Like you wake up, it's kind of chilly in the mornings. Um, just start feeling it. So getting to travel to the Halloween weekend through the Twilight Zone was kind of exciting for me. I actually turned the light off while I was watching this, just pretended. Uh, <laughs> Eating your Franken Frankenberry from last year that's now stale, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just got it's, cheese, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't yeah. know what's more depressing, stale cereal or fat-free cottage cheese what, on the what, couch. <laughs> what, what's, what's, what's more depressing in the dark, stale cereal, stale Halloween cereal or cottage cheese in the dark? I don't know. Both both have their merits, I guess. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, see, let's just get the cast and crew before I just I get to what's sadder. I don't know. 
All right. So this episode was directed by Montgomery Pittman, who we recently dis- uh, discussed on the first season of season three here with our buddy El Goro. Um, this episode was also written by Montgomery Pittman, and so was two. So this marks the second one that he wrote and directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to go back and hear us actually discuss uh, Montgomery Pittman's career, you can check out Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? That was his first appearance with this show. So, yeah, written and directed. One of the only uh, one of the only directors that really did that throughout the series. I so. throw out. A, uh, I want to tease this that there is some debate about who actually wrote the episode. But yeah. well, I mean, we could probably talk about this is a this is a story that goes way back. This is just some classic folklore, which I, the whole time I was watching this, it sounded really familiar. And then I found out that it was in scary t- stories to tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I was I loved those things when I was younger. So, I mean, it, this story doesn't. It pretty much just takes it and puts it in a Western setting. There's really not much else added to it. Yeah, but even even that, um, I guess we'll get to a little bit here. Uh, he Montgomery Pittman says that this was based off of a, like a story he heard growing up, and then um, uh, we're going to get to the actor here, um, oh, uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane, uh, uh, James Best, <laughs> supposedly said that uh, he pitched the idea to Montgomery Pittman. And then whenever he got around to doing the episode, he asked him to be in it. So there's this weird, like everybody's kind of claiming credit for something that's pretty much folklore, you know? And I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who that profits whenever this is kind of, this is, you know, this is something that you've, you've heard the story in multiple iterations from different sources. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give the credit to the actors and the set designers because that's where, <laughs> yes, that's where I think this uh, episode succeeds, and we'll definitely get into it. I'm so gonna, writing credit. was not the strong point in this episode. I'm so give credit to James people Best can and fight his, uh... all over. People can fight over this all they want. Uh, I don't care who wrote it because it's uh, probably one of the most simplistic episodes we've had in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to give James Best uh, credit for always playing a guitar at the right moment during the story, just strumming it. Oh yeah. I love it. <laughs> love it. All right. So yeah. we'll jump into cast here. We got, uh, the great Lee Marvin yes. as Connie Miller. Um, yeah, I mean, it, Lee Marvin is one of the greatest tough guy actors and, uh, ever graced the screen. Um, some of my favorites, you can fill in the blanks after with some of yours, but Delta force with Chuck Norris, dirty dozen, um, the Killers, The Wild One, Point Blank, which is a fantastic film. Uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, Paint Your Wagon, just a Shout at the Devil with Roger Moore. Pretty fun uh, pretty fun film if you've never seen that one. Uh, he was also in one other future episode of The Twilight Zone, so not the last time we'll talk about okay. him. But yeah, Lee Marvin is incredible. Yeah, uh, and I did not know that he was named um, after his... Uh, first cousin, four times removed, General Robert E. Lee of the Confederacy. I did not know that. So didn't either. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know if that's a point of pride. <laughs> like, like, but but I like it's that, something that that um, that Lee Marvin's like. You know, I'm going to make this my own name, and there's not going to be another badass within five feet of me with the name Lee that's going to share the screen with me with the name Lee. That's interesting. What's you picked five feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Lee Marvin. I mean, I'm I'm sure everyone listening to the show knows who he is. He's uh, he's a legend in his own right, and uh, definitely go check him out if you're not familiar with him. So, um, yeah, I, I did not know that he won an Academy Award in '65, so this would be a couple years after this for uh, Cat Baloo. 
He was, oh, he yeah. won that. Uh, and he was yeah, supposed it's, to be. It's funny how, like, when I go through, like, films that I pick out, how I never mention the ones that win awards or anything like that. Uh, well, I've not, it's like yeah. Delta Force and Shout at the Devil. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> um, I've not seen Cat Baloo. I think that's how you're supposed to say the name of that, right? And I know yes, that there's yeah. a lot of. Uh, there's like every like with watching all the westerns and we'll get more into that probably later that was this was one that kept being circled like around like it was always kind of talked about and everything i was reading so i might yeah, want to check this man out who shot liberty valance yes. being john ford western that's oh, yeah. uh, very critically acclaimed and uh, uh that's very really highly yeah. exalted film and then also uh, i just want to mention he was supposed to be in the wild bunch and i forget why he didn't get into it but he was supposed to be one of the principal characters of the wild bunch which the wild bunch is an amazing film he like and him being in it would still be great, but I mean like I, I feel like it, no matter what, like him being in it still would have been a badass movie. Him not being in it still a badass movie. But yeah, yeah, uh, and he was also supposed to, he was offered the role of Quint in Jaws. Yeah, um, I've I've heard that before, and he said uh, that he didn't take it because he didn't want his Fisher friends to be like, "What are you doing, play acting, catching a fish on a boat?" Like basically, he didn't take <laughs> it because he didn't want anybody shit talking him for his like acting of fishing. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm kind of happy that uh, he didn't take that because Robert Shaw is perfect mm-hmm. for that role. And I know you guys uh, plug for your other show, Invasion of the Podcast, just covered Jaws and Orca last week. And uh, you guys give a lot of fun, uh, fun stories about <laughs> Robert Shaw on the set of that movie. I, I don't think um, I, don't, I don't think Ali Marvin would have uh, exuded a sea hobo much like Robert Shaw. No, did. no, not at all. It would have been a very different performance and probably not as terrifying <laughs> and drunken. Like, what if they? Didn't I call- mean, they were both pretty legendary drunks, so. Maybe the drunken part would have played off the same, but I like the idea that they would not call him Quint the entire time and been like, you know, Robert Shaw as Sea Hobo and Jaws. Like that would, <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um, oh, but yeah. I highly recommend. Uh, I like uh, throwing out some recommendations. If you haven't seen the 1967 film Point Blank, uh, definitely check that out. It's directed by John Borman, who uh, most of you would know for doing Exorcist Two and Excalibur. And um, Zardoz, this is a, right? Didn't he also do Zardoz? Yeah, and Zardoz, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is like this weird, like neo crime, neo noir crime film. Um, that it, it's 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 very interesting. Okay. Uh, it's it's not very action packed for an action movie, um, but I I think it's it's something interesting that you would definitely enjoy. But okay. I would definitely recommend our listeners go hunt that one down. The Blu-ray is always like seven dollars on Amazon, so it's it's super dirt cheap. Um, yeah, go check it out. It's my recommendation for Lee Marvin. Maybe a little bit deeper cut for people um, outside of like Dirty Dozen and Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, and next up, we have James Best, who plays Johnny Robb, who, <laughs> again, uh, you mentioned him. He plays uh, Sheriff Roscoe in Dukes of Hazard, but he was also in uh, Rolling Thunder, which yes. is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and Killer Shrews. <laughs> this is one of the worst movies of all time. So just um, want to mention those. And he was also in two other episodes of The Twilight Zone. So it, we'll talk about James Best again. Yeah, he was also in an episode of Hawaiian Eye. I just want to point that out. To say ah, where, how did you know, I miss that? Yeah, right. Um, the Killer Shrews threw you off. But yeah, Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane. Like you just got to, you know, you know, like, you got to always throw that out there, right? Like always the, the you know, the lackey to Boss Hog. Like. I whatever it paid the bills and I, I guess like he's also kind of one of those guys that was uh kind of like a renaissance man but kind of like everyone remembers him for playing an idiot you know and in this episode like he's definitely cowardly 
but man, he is, you know, he, he's a, like a good looking dude. You know, like I, I, I don't think of uh, Roscoe being like an attractive lead, but James Best has like he he could have been like um, if, if maybe he he actually pivoted into westerns at that time, he would have been a strong leading man. Like he had a look. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen Rolling Thunder? I don't know if no, I've ever I've discussed not. it with um, you. No, I, yeah, I you got you yeah. got to check that out. It's uh, written by Paul Schrader. Yeah, and well, who I mean, did uh, Taxi a, Driver? There's a hook hand involved. I, I need to definitely see this film. Yes, so yeah, it's great. He's a Vietnam vet. He comes back, and the town basically has a fundraiser and gives him a bunch of money. People break into his house and they put his hand into a garbage disposal. So he gets a hook and he goes out under the road down to Mexico to hunt him down. That's basically the movie. That's, that's uh, but he meets away. up with Tommy Lee Jones, who also served in Vietnam with him. And there is one of my favorite sequences when he goes to pick up Tommy Lee Jones to uh, basically tell him, like, I need your help to go hunt these guys down. There's a dinner sequence where they're there with their wives and they're just non-verbally like they just stare at each other the entire time. And they go in the other room and Tommy Lee Jones just goes, I'll get my bag. <laughs> and it's it gives me goosebumps even talking about it. It's one of the most effective scenes I've ever seen in film. Nice. Uh, I it, as far as like grindhouse action, like that whole. Uh, uh, oh my god. Um, what what is the genre I'm trying to think of? Um, well, like revenge, vigilante yeah, films. Vigilante, yeah. Like I, as far as those like grindhouse vigilante films go, this is the top of my list. Okay. So again, another recommendation. I could talk about that movie all night. <laughs> I, I like that the, the the first half hour of the show is going to be recommendations because we're about to get some big ones here. You know, so that'll be uh be fun. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I yeah, I do want to see Rolling Thunder. I've 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 heard about it. I just again talking to you and also like the likes of El Goro. My 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 movie viewing is expanding. Constantly, and I'm always interested for, um, you know, the brief asides. And I feel like there's always wonderful things to be had on the edges of cinema. And you guys both bring those to me. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, so we'll move on here because I could keep going on Rolling Thunder. Yeah. But we have Struther oh, I thought, Martin. I thought you were going to keep going with James Best. You're like, I could just talk about Johnny Robb all night. <laughs> no, no. I mean, do you have anything else for James Best? No, I don't have anything else no. for James okay. Best. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we have Struther Martin who plays Mothershed. Uh, he was he was also, I believe, in uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance with Lee Marvin. Uh, he was also in Cool Hand Luke, Wild Bunch. Mm-hmm. So there's your uh, reference back to there. This was his only Twilight Zone appearance, um, and I, he was also in the movie, <laughs> which I think I brought up on the show before. <laughs> Just a ridiculous snake monster movie. Uh, uh, he was in um, he was in True Grit. He was the the guy who owned the horses that the girl. Ah. Like yeah. talked him, like talked him out of some horses. He was also in Slapshot, which is one of my favorite sports comedies yeah. of all time. And he was also in Cheech and Chunks Up in Smoke, which I didn't know that. <laughs> like, think, look, this is what I wrote down: Cool Hand Luke, Wild Bunch, True Grit, Slapshot, Up in Smoke, and that is that, that is either I'll take a paycheck or I really want to vary my portfolio. <laughs> I love when it, whenever you talk about movies and that movie comes up, it sounds like you're having a stroke. <laughs> you're just like, oh, you ever see that movie? Toast? Like, I smell what, toast. What is it? <laughs> like it's just six S's. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's it's a pretty bad movie, but there's some fun to be had with it. Um, next up, we have oh man, I can't read my handwriting. Ellen Willard, who plays Ion Sykes. Uh, 
Not many credits to her name. This was her only Twilight Zone appearance. So we'll move on to probably my favorite actor in this episode, uh, Lee Van Cleef as yes. Steinhardt. Oh, yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, we just we were just on Talk Without Rhythm uh, probably a month or two ago discussing two Lee Van Cleef films called Day of Anger and Sabata. So uh, plug for his show. Go check that out if you want to hear us talk about those. Uh, Lee Van Cleef, a staple in the Western genre amongst other genres. Uh, especially with like Escape from New York and everything, um, yeah, he's he's incredible, and it was off-putting to see him in a light-colored hat in this episode. <laughs> yeah, especially with the hat, like the brim kept blowing up, and it was a weird look, a weird look for him. But uh, yeah, I'm just not used to seeing him that young either. <laughs> yeah. So the the we'll, just, we'll mention here if people have not listened to to the episode Talk Without Rhythm, like he actually he has a distinct look and. Um, he was told to to go get corrective surgery for like his nose because it's very much like it, it's it's a peak like it's a Mr. Burns you know like it's very very sharp profile and he said no I'm not going to do that and to his credit he is he is the epitome of a character actor in a lot of ways like you see him you know him you recognize him and though he did a lot of cool lead work like he's always yeah much much know, later in his yeah. career as I kind of reference yeah. being like I'm not used to seeing him as young yeah it's because half the time when I watch those. You don't notice him because he's back in the uh, in the background, yeah, yeah. you know. But into the seven, like late sixties into the seventies, he started getting those lead roles after like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly became such a giant hit, um, and like for a few dollars more, um, he ended up getting those lead roles. But I mean, how old was he by the time like sixty eight? He was forty four, forty three. You know, that, by yeah. the time he had his like big break as a leading man. Yeah, and he he um he reveled in playing the bad guy, and I just mentioned here like we we talked about it on the other episode, his grave marker it says best of the bad, and it's perfect. Like I love Lee Van Cleef, and I will admit that my my knowledge of him is still very limited, but everything I've seen him in, I have loved him in as Angel Eyes and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, as Sabata, the man that can't miss a quarter throw to you know ever, and just like he is so good, and then watching him kind of shit talk Lee Marvin in this made me think of him. Uh, from Day of Anger, you know, like it, it made me feel like the whole thing of just where he's just like kind of telling it as he sees it, you know, and I, I just I I love Lee Van Cleef and having him and Lee Marvin and knowing what they would go on to do later like this. And, and this is in a Western, too. Like it is it was there. There's however I feel about the episode is ancillary to the fact that seeing these both these guys show up in a Western in the Twilight Zone is like amazing to me. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was interesting. Like we've had so many discussions, whether it be on um, this show, Talk Without Rhythm, or on Invasion of the Podcast in the past couple months about westerns, <laughs> and uh, it felt like this was a cool transitional episode for even the genre mm-hmm. because up until the '60s, westerns were all very cookie cutter. They all dealt with the same thing, you know, it was very black and white. Whether you know this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. And then in the 60s, you started getting people like Peckinpah and uh, even um, Riding the Whirlwind with Jack Nicholson and stuff. You got these directors. <laughs> I know I know, how I feel about that movie, but you're getting these younger people coming in, kind of rejecting yes. the standards of what Hollywood put in the Westerns and making these characters that live in this gray area that I love. Like, that's that's what I live for in Westerns are these, you know, it's a little bit muddy what good and bad is and who's on the right side of everything. Um, 
but this felt like the transitional period because up until then, you know, like we're just starting to get things that are rejecting those, uh, um, those kind of cliches within the genre. And after this, I mean, that's when the explosion of spaghetti Westerns happen. That's when we start getting stuff like, uh, uh, like I mentioned wild munch and everything. And, uh, this episode kind of has a weird vibe to it. Unlike a lot of the TV Western stuff that was going around on the same time. Well, even that felt like, much more in line with what was happening in the forties and fifties. Well, I was gonna say, even with Connie Miller's character, we'll get to this more in a second. He, he's not your atypical lead in a Western story. And I, and I feel like that it, it, they, they kind of took the piss out of the, you know, out of the, the hired gun. You know, and I feel like we'll talk about that. So even this yeah, felt and kind of you don't know yeah. enough about him as well to know whether or not he's in it for a good reason or a bad mm-hmm. reason. So it's it like I said, it lives very much within this gray area. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. If we, all right, we got to save some of this conversation <laughs> for the. Episode. I like that we'll be done about the episode before we get to the last person in the episode. I like that. Yeah, we'll we'll blow through the rest of these. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, Lee Van Cleef, uh, legend within the genre. Uh, so pumped to see him pop up on the Twilight Zone. And it is not the last time, I believe. Isn't there one more episode with him, oh, or is this it? Uh, maybe. I, don't, I didn't write that down, so I don't know. So yeah. No, this is it. This oh. is it. So this is the one and only time we get to talk about Lee Van Cleef. So, um, Drink it in. <laughs> yeah, please, people, go check out uh, Go check out at least Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and Sabata. <laughs> yes. Um if not even good, the bad, and the ugly, just check out Sabata. It is so much fun. <laughs> and then go check out our episode uh, that we covered it with uh, El Goro on Talk Without Rhythm because yeah. that was a fantastic conversation. Um, yeah, so we'll blow through the rest of these here. We have William Chelly, who plays Jason, um, the kind of homeless guy, guy. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. stands outside. I don't know. Uh, don't really have too much for him. He was in one other episode mm-hmm. of the Twilight Zone, so he may or may not pop up in conversation. Uh, we have Stafford Rep, who plays Ira Broadley, who was the mechanic in Nick of Time, mm-hmm. and I believe we talked about him back then. He's also in one other Twilight Zone. And then the last two, which really didn't do too much, uh, we have Larry Johns as Corcoran. I don't know. Um, and then we have Dick Geary, who plays the... Uh, seemingly invisible antagonist pinto sykes <laughs> yeah we see him for all of a second yeah so that's it yeah, yeah. um but yeah, yeah that's it so that's it all right let's uh, let's certainly take it away and then i just i will you i will have to talk about Sterling in this episode because i'm super happy with what happened here so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> normally the old man would be correct this would be the end of the story we've had the traditional shootout on the street and the bad man will soon be dead but some men of legend and folktale have been known to continue having their way even after death. The outlaw and killer Pinto Sykes was such a person. And shortly we'll see how he introduces the town and a man named Connie Miller, in particular, to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, so I get, let, we'll set the episode up and then we'll mention Rod's uh, entrance into the episode. How about that? Because this, this made me like pause the whole thing and actually have to be explained to my wife why I was super happy about what happened. So, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, we start the episode out. It's a kind of a rundown Western town. Uh, man walks out of a saloon. It turns out to be uh, Pinto Sykes that we just discussed. Um, he's surrounded by 
eight other guys who all have guns drawn on them, and they end up shooting him down. Turns out he's still alive, so they bring him to the jail, and um, they send one of the younger guys to go tell his family that they shot him down and everything, and he's dying if they want to see him one more time. So that's how this episode starts. Uh, Great introduction. Very windy, dusty set. Um, very in line with what you'd expect from a Western episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, yeah, it goes to nighttime and that's when, uh, when Lee Marvin as Connie shows up. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about, uh, uh, Serling's entrance before then. Well, I thought this isn't, didn't the towns didn't, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason tell, um, wasn't he the one talking about how like, he's dead now, right? Did he talk to Connie about that or was it a previous? No, episode? not yet. Okay. Serling comes sorry. out right after the kid runs away to go talk to That's the family. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So as the kid's running off out of screen, we pass this barn door and uh, <laughs> Serling opens the barn door and walks out. And I was and super happy. <laughs> it's one of the best entrances that he's had on the series. Because I always joke about how he needs to insert himself more into what's going on. And like, so the old man was like talking about like, you know, like, uh, you know, it's done now it's over. And he's like, well, the old man's usually right. And it's like, he's directly commenting on what was said in front of him. But I love that he walks out of that door in a frame. It's like, it's, it's great. Usually it's just a whip pan to him being like on the set, but it's like, he's actually in the moment. And, the, the closest thing to this I could think of is um, oh, the one we just saw last uh, last year, uh, the one that starts off in the courtroom, the one that we liked a lot, uh, the dream one. Uh, whatever oh, it's called. yeah. yeah. Uh, how well, there's he, that and there's yeah. the one with the car crash where he's uh, <laughs> walking out, out of the bushes. <laughs> that's that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. The prime mover when he walks out of the trees. Yeah. Uh, or I yeah. also like the one episode where he's got the newspaper up over his face. <laughs> And they cut over to him, and he lowers it. See, that's can, that's a good. one. I can remember well. that was back there, but for whatever reason, I can't remember the one uh, uh, the one with the dreams. I can't remember the name of that one right now, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one I just liked because it's just like he just walked right into the scene and starts talking. And it was like it was fun to see him insert himself into the story. And I don't know what it is, but it made me really happy. <laughs> but I liked I liked his intro of just basically dissing the old man and then setting up the story. Yeah, I was I was getting bummed out this season because it's just been like a wit pan the entire season so mm-hmm. far. Uh, this is the first time that he's actually been on set. Yeah. So um, yeah, anyway. yeah. Now now we cut to nighttime. Lee Marvin rolls into town. Uh, Connie, uh, what's uh, Connie Miller? Excuse me. I'm just gonna refer to him as Lee, Lee Marvin. Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's asking what's going on. There's a little part of the street that's kind of sectioned off. He asks about it. And uh, Jason, the homeless man, leaning against the saloon, kind of in the shadows, comes out. And he tells him that, yeah, they shot down uh, they shot down Pinto Sykes. I like that you him, assume that Jason's homeless. <laughs> like, there's nah, I don't know. They're all homeless, aren't they? <laughs> Living yeah. in little wooden shacks yeah, out in the desert. Fair. Yeah. Right. It's not really a home. Like it's where the heart is, and that's not where the heart is. But yeah, he tells him, <laughs> like, yeah, if you go over there, like you'll see that his blood's still in the street. You have to get past the dust, but the blood's there, you know. And basically just saying, like, you know, the job that you were supposed to do, we've done already. And that's that. Yeah. So he goes into the uh saloon, which uh we previously saw Sykes exiting earlier. Um, and you see the guys who shot down Pinto Sykes in there. And uh, that's when we see Lee Van Cleef, which I got very excited and wrote in my notes, Lee Van Cleef with four exclamation marks. Cause I forgot he was in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they tell him there's a whole thing about 
eight people fired. They couldn't remember who actually fired the shot that took him down. And they talk about how uh, Connie was uh, chasing him. He was trying to get the bounty on his head all this time. And he was disappointed that he wasn't the one that was able to catch him. And so that's what we heard in the intro when they're talking about um, when Pinto was on his deathbed. He was saying that he felt like uh, Lee Marvin's character was scared of him and that he didn't actually want to catch up to him and that he tried to wait for him in like Albuquerque or something and he never caught up. So he was convinced that he was scared of him and we get we kind of get the idea that he didn't like Lee Marvin's character and that he said if he ever does catch up to him at this point, if he gets within five feet of his grave, he's saying this on his deathbed, that he's going to reach up out of the grave and grab him. Yeah. I, I like it. That there's a point where um, uh, Connie says, who is we mothershed? And I, I, for whatever reason, I feel like anytime they say mothershed, it sounds like he's kind of swearing, but not like every time the name said, it's always <laughs> like as a negative. But yeah, they're, they're basically you find out like you know like uh, what was it um the, the Johnny Reb was telling him no it wasn't Johnny Reb it was the other other guy Ira I think was telling him that uh like as as uh, Pinto was talking to his family like his last wishes and then how he also wanted to be buried near his ma but not within twenty feet because she was a decent woman like there was bits in there <laughs> that I liked and it was like these weird character moments but yeah basically like telling the tale but then they were all in such a hurry to tell Connie like hey by the way the guy that you were supposed to be that the town hired for you to kill we got him and he was talking shit about you on his way out like that was a interesting take and then to see Lee Marvin just staring them all down as they're basically all saying you know like we're not saying it directly but we kind of believe we believe Pinto you know and it's like you kind of get that notion that like they all do kind of think Connie's chicken yeah well and we find out how much they believe in a bit here Um, so at this point in the conversation when they tell him that uh, the whole thing about the grave and him reaching up and grabbing him uh, the door flies open everyone draws their guns points them at the door and a hooded girl enters. We yeah. realize that it is uh, Pinto's sister, Ion Sykes. And she's ordering some rye whiskey from the bar. And the bartender makes a good comment about, uh, your dad's been drinking a lot since uh, Pinto got shot. And she's like, yeah, it's not for him. It's for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sh- she gives this really weird performance in this episode. Um, I think it's, due to her just not being a great actress because she didn't really do too much, but it kind of works for this episode. Um, I honestly thought she'd be your favorite part of the episode because she's off kilter. Like, I, so, yeah. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I oh. really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's uh, like, Sorry. it's kind of a terrible yeah. performance, but it really works for this. Cause there's a whole thing where she's like, yeah, I just came from the graveyard. I was talking with my brother and uh, yeah, he's waiting for you up there. Well, you know where you know where he is, and she walks out and does this laugh that's just like ha 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 ha. ha. Yeah, it, it's, it's terrifying. It's, it's a very and I don't know if it's yeah. done intentionally or if it's just bad acting, but it works. Yeah, it, and and so the second time I watched this, she looks directly at Connie and says, "Look what the wind blew in," and it's like, "Oh shit!" Like, and we'll talk yeah, about this later. That's terrifying. Oh, it's like <laughs> like watching a second time and like knowing what's happening. You're like, oh. And it kind of almost makes you question more what was going on the second time you watch it. Um, but yeah, like very, you're right. She isn't the strongest like performer, but she is, it, it's, 
it's weird enough that yeah, it, it, yeah. it's similar to uh, a few episodes ago. Um, oh my god, it's so bad when I can't remember titles from like three weeks ago. Um, the passerby, the passersby, excuse me. There's the dead soldier that comes by. Oh yeah, that it, yeah. doesn't quite give the best performance. But there's just something so stiff and so disconnected from reality with it that it's kind of haunting in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, after she leaves, they ask, you know, or they kind of uh, ask him if he's afraid of Pinto's grave. I guess mostly it's Johnny Rob who asks him <laughs> that. And <laughs> he turns around and hits him. Just and, slaps uh, him. Just beats the oh, yeah. crap he's, out of He's Johnny pissed Rob. off. Yeah. And he's like, in only the way Lee Marvin can, you know, like, <laughs> nobody calls me a coward. <laughs> Great tough guy, Lee Marvin, uh, delivery on all that. And uh, But I did write down, I love how uh, Johnny Rob after that, he's like, you know, you don't have to hit me. A lot of people don't like me, but dogs and kids like me. <laughs> yeah, I like it when he says, uh, before you hit me and hurt me, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of dogs and kids like, like me. Yeah. <laughs> so and at that point, he grabs his guitar and starts playing it while he's talking about it. Yeah. And he ends up betting him uh, $20, $20 gold piece that he's, uh, he's acquired, uh, he's saved up and gotten. He's betting him that he won't go to Pinto's grave at midnight and visit it. So Lee Van Cleef then stands up and he's like, um, cause Lee Marvin finally is like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll bet you 20 bucks for that. I got a gold coin. Lee Marvin stands up and he's like, you got another $20 gold piece. <laughs> cause I want in on this. I'm betting against you. So it turns out everyone thinks he's afraid. Everyone, if they had money, would bet against him. But basically, it's just the $40. I, I um, like that. I was really worried the first time watching this. I'm like, is Van Cleef going to say anything? Like, it took to the Yeah, I, I was concerned, too. I thought he was just going to sit in the background. <laughs> I was like, no. Just because there were so many people in there. Yeah, and, but, but I like it that Ira's like, when, he, when uh, Connie asked Ira, he's like, well, you know, Ira's like, oh, I'm out of money. I, I lost all the Steinhardt. And he's like, well, what would you do? He's like, I reckon I'd bet against you. It's like, yeah. you, you don't you don't have any skin in the game. You could just yeah, be no, quiet. Like, don't say fine. that. You saw him just beat Johnny Rob up. Like, yeah. just, <laughs> just like, oh, no, you're good. Yeah. yeah. I'm staying out of this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, he just flat out tells him. He's like, yeah, I think you're afraid. So. Uh, Lee Van Cleef's character, which I can't remember anyone's character. Steinhardt. All these, all these actors are so uh, just legendary that I can't. Take. I want to, I want to call him Steinmart. That's not right, but Steinhardt. Yeah, it's Steinhardt. Yeah. So, Van, whatever. Lee Van Cleef. Uh, <laughs> he realizes they needs proof to show that he was actually there because he's like, you could just come back and tell us you did it, and not actually go up there. So he grabs a Bowie knife from the bartender and tells him. Stick it in the grave within five feet of the grave and we'll go tomorrow. Not tonight, obviously, in the dark, but we'll go tomorrow because <laughs> we're all terrified and uh, check to see if the knife is still there. So that's that's their security on the forty dollars. <laughs> well, there's a point where um, like, what was it? Uh, Connie says to uh, Mothershed, he's like, I don't get my nerve from my gun, Mothershed. And it's something about the way he said it again is very like condescending to Mothershed. But but there's various times where they call out Connie on his manhood, and he says the things that he doesn't get his manhood from. And there's a line later we'll talk about in a second that is also funny. And then I have a bit. Well, when we get to the end of the episode, I have a bit of a story to talk about the production uh, of what yeah. happened here, and you'll get a kick out of it. 
Lee Marvin delivers some of those lines oh, with yeah. just such so much grit. It's yes. awesome. <laughs> uh, I'd love it. <laughs> so then we we cut to uh, that night. Then he's walking up to the graveyard and everything. He gets he finally gets up there, and it's a fantastic set of a graveyard. I mean, to the point where you can see seams in the backdrop, yeah. like something together, and it i love it, it, I it the graveyard almost reminded me of the one from Django. like yeah uh, i was yeah. i was gonna bring that up for sure it yeah. definitely does or army of darkness that was the other one i was thinking of too <laughs> how it was like multi-layered and lumpy and just like you know crosses sticking out all over the place like this is a graveyard of nightmares and here you got you got connie walking into it and he looks up and he thinks, you know, you see something ethereal and it's just uh, Ione, Ione, a whatever her name is, like just like walking down with her cloak, like just like being blown sideways. And she's drunk off of three quarters of a bottle of rye, by the way. She yeah. she gunned that in the meantime. <laughs> um, and I, I really like that she she was stumbling down the hill. And I, I wrote in my notes, she's a drunk ghost is what I wrote. So, yeah. yeah. And she basically, she doesn't really say much, but she just says, uh, he's waiting for you yeah. up there. And here, you might want to drink. And he says, uh, no, he, she says, he's waiting for you. Ha, 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 ha. And then um, hands him the, the drink or whatever. And then um, he says, I don't get my, my nerve out of a bottle. And I wrote in parentheses, right. <laughs> like, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely not written uh, for Lee Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I just his his sincerity, as much as like you know him being called out for being a coward. Like I just I don't know ultimately how you feel about his character because he's being challenged to do something that he doesn't supposedly have fear of doing. But then earlier in the bar, whenever the door swung open quickly, he was the first one to grab his gun. And oh then, yeah, he's terrified. Yeah. And then yeah, it's great. And you, like yeah. you mentioned before, it's kind of a deconstruction of like the uh, the uh, the Western hero, yeah. you know, who is just tougher than everybody else. Not you know, unflappable. He just nothing can affect them. Um, you see him trying to put up that facade, but you can tell through his eyes and everything, and through his reactions to everyone that he is the most terrified out of everyone. <laughs> yes, and I I like that about him because it's. It's it's that kind of uh, flawed character that you end up seeing within like spaghetti westerns and everything, so that's why I said this is like great. Not only just a Twilight Zone episode, this is a great transitional western yeah. piece. Yeah, being told that kind of bridges that gap between the old Hollywood westerns and what we're gonna get for the next twenty years. <laughs> yeah, and so then he, you hear like as he's walking towards the grave, you hear this like rattling and knocking. And uh, he ends up finding that there's a, a weird building off to the right that has a door just swinging shut over and over again. And it's it's a simple gag, but he's terrified. Like, he pulls his gun, and he realizes it's just a door swinging. And it shows again how, how like, you know, scared he really is, you know? And I, I liked that moment, because it didn't necessarily have to be in the episode, but it was another reinforcement of, like, he he's not the guy he's portraying. And I know we just talked yeah. about that, but I, I liked it. Yeah, but it's it, they kind of have to do it because if you're creating any sense of dread in this episode, being a horror western, uh, if he is that that typical uh, western hero and nothing gets under his skin, there really wouldn't be much horror to be had in this because you'd be yeah. like, yeah, he'll be fine, <laughs> you know. 
he just walks in guns blazing, you know, like, <laughs> come out, ghosts. Like, it's not really terrifying. So they kind of have to. But it works as that, like I said, on that kind of deconstructive level of the Western genre. So um, whether or not it was intentional, it worked. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, so he finally gets up to the graveyard. He kneels down and he pulls out the knife and he stabs in the ground. And as soon as he stabs it, he feels something pull on him. And he gets pulled down out of the frame. Well, he pull, he stabs the grave to begin with and pulls the knife out and looks yeah. at it and goes to do a second time. And that's when it gets pulled out of frame. It's kind of yeah. awkward, but yeah, it's fine. It's a nice setup of the double fake of, oh, everything's perfectly okay. Maybe not, you know? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. So now it's the next morning. Uh, we find out that he hasn't returned to the saloon. They're all still there, uh, probably drinking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's where I, Van Cleef has that light-colored hat on that yeah, I'm still... Weird. I don't like it. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it at all. Um but yeah, so they're like, they're standing around talking about how he hasn't returned. And it's weird. They should go up there. Pinto's sister walks by carrying a plate. Yeah, by the way, not hung over. Not hung over at all. No, from, she from seems to be in a great mood. Ripping off. Killing that bottle of whiskey. Yeah, three, three fourths bottle of rye. And she's perfectly fine. And I'm assuming she killed it. Like, yeah, if she was that far, like, yeah. it's got to be gone. Yeah, she's super yeah, happy. Yeah, she's, she's happy as can be. And she's walking with her plate. And she tells him that it was. It was her brother's favorite plate, and he always ate it off. It. <laughs> I mean, so she's going to put it on his grave. We all have a favorite plate, right? <laughs> I mean, it's... I have one that I like more than others, but I don't think I'd ever call it my favorite. I mean, do you have a favorite plate, or do you have like a favorite cup or like glass that you always go to for like drinking out of? I, I no, like, like I, I said, I have yeah. ones that I prefer just because I like the shape and the size of them. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think I'd if it broke. I don't think I'd be like devastated. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I, and I wouldn't want somebody to, like find the good shaped plastic mug that I use for water every night and put it on my grave after I, I die. Say, I, know, I know you're going to outlive me, but I would not bring like cut like a uh, like dishware to your grave. Oh, I'm going to come over to your house. <laughs> like if you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, like, I'm going to leave you my favorite plate. <laughs> like I want you to put this on my grave after I die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they all decide they're going to go with her up to the grave. And as soon as they get up there, you only see the reaction shot. And I love uh, Johnny Rob has the best one <laughs> where he just like, I knowed it. I knowed I it. Knowed it. <laughs> yeah. And they cut over and you see Connie laid across the side of the grave. And um, you see that he's still right where he was, just kind of slumped over. And he had pinned himself by his coattail. So Lee Van Cleef walks over and he's like, ah, I'll explain this to everybody. And he basically says, you know, he was, he was going to do it. He ended up, uh, accidentally because of the wind stabbing his coattail into the ground. And when we went to get up, he felt something tugging on him. He was so terrified because he thought it was Pinto that he had a heart attack. Yeah. But then, um, I own kind of like, she kind of proves him wrong, I guess about that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll take it. Because the whole thing is like, he's like, well, he's like, he must have buttoned his coat and then the wind blew it back and he stabbed it down. She's like, well, which direction is the wind blowing? And he says, whatever direction is blowing. And she's like, look at my cloak. And the wind's blowing in the cloak. And she's like, look at my cloak, basically saying any wind blowing right now would be blowing the clothing away from where Connie was. So how did, how did the uh, jacket get there? Like in terms of him to stab it down you know, with the, the knife. And for some reason that seems to satisfy everybody. I don't understand like 
you know, like maybe the wind wasn't blowing at that time, but for some reason she thinks it's like, you know, she's basically saying it, it, this is supernatural and this is just desserts. And she's like kind of laughing, taunting everybody with her cloak blowing. And yeah. it's creepy. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I said, I love her performance with that, but yeah. you can take it two ways. So like, and that's what I love about these kind of endings with Twilight Zone because it could, it, well, I guess you could take it a few different ways because it could have happened like Lee Marvin said, and he just got terrified because he was terrified the whole episode. Yeah. Um, it could have actually been Pinto if you want to take it that way. Um, but even if it was just the wind, like you see somebody who is deeply upset with the loss of her brother um, during throughout this episode, kind of getting the resolution with the person who is hunting her brother down um, for the past uh, however many months, four months, he said he was hunting him down. So it was almost like her resolution to her brother's death and everything. So yeah. she wanted to believe it, you know, but you could take it as supernatural. If you want, if you want to, yeah, which yeah, I like I, it though. Yeah. Those which, are my favorite kind of endings in this. I, that's why I, even as much as I feel like this episode isn't a, isn't the strongest. I just, I just knew watching it. I'm like, this is going to be one of Kevin's favorite episodes. Cause it's Western has some badass actors in it. And it has a could be supernatural or could not be ending, which I know is a little bit more in your wheelhouse. So I was like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a weak uh, yeah. <laughs> week ending, like it, it's definitely like I said, the writing is not the strong part of this episode. No. Um, but it, it's good enough. But yeah, the, the performances in this, especially from Lee Marvin and um, the weird sister. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I loved it. Um, and the set design and everything, just how much I love westerns and how much I love horror and how much I love like classic gothic horror and everything. This was right up my alley. I I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I kind of made uh, that joke before we started recording. I'm like, look, it has kind of ghosts. It has uh, Lee Van Cleef. It's a Western. Yeah, this is going to be Kevin's favorite episode of all time. <laughs> I, I know that's not yeah, true. It's not my favorite. It's, it, it's definitely got a lot of positives, and I wanted to come in here and be like, this is the greatest episode I had never <laughs> seen at the Twilight Zone, you know? But... It, Unfortunately, you know, it's it's very dialogue heavy that doesn't really go anywhere in the beginning. Yeah. Like they kind of reiterate what you just saw um, for at least like 10 minutes. And then by the time you get to the graveyard, there's what, like seven minutes left in the episode. Yeah. It just I mean, so it's it's yeah. definitely top heavy. And uh, I don't I, the whole thing just doesn't seem to flow as well as it probably should with this caliber of actors. Anytime it. you have to have a character stop and explain what they think happened, that you kind of put the brakes on everything, you know? So, yeah, 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 uh, that too, yeah. with Lee Van Cleef just explaining, like, here's what happened. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, God. You know, as much as I love Lee Van Cleef, like, that's not his fault. No. You know, it's just, it, it's what's going to happen when you have 20 minute stories and you're pulling some from some folklore that's basically a story about i bet you you won't go to the cemetery like i bet i will and then they have they die like that's <laughs> well what, what, how much more can you really drag out of that uh that story i, I just tell my wife i'll watch it i was like why does it suddenly feel like are you afraid of the dark like i feel like it's one of those things where it's, i bet you <laughs> won't go I mean, to the graveyard you, did you ever read the scary stories to tell in the dark no that i i am um, that seems i know that's a 
a book that was published all over the place, but I thought it was published in Cleveland. So I feel like oh, that I was, that. yeah, I, I found that out. But Maybe that's why it was all over uh, the library when I was growing yeah, up. Um, grow, growing sense. up where I did, I had something, uh, there was a collection of folklore called the Telltale Lilac Bush, which was all about folklore, West Virginia. So, oh, that's, they, um, that's awesome. yeah, there were some interesting stories in there, but it's like, they were all supposed to be like, you know, local to the counties and things. But so I didn't read that one, but I feel like that is in a lot of people's like, you know, younger nostalgia for horror. So, that that's a famous one. And I guess there was other iterations of the story and I was reading about it. It it wasn't terribly interesting to me because it's like this idea of it could be, or couldn't be like great, but I could also see how this gets recycled over and over again. And this one was perfectly fine. It's just that it didn't compel me enough to really try to figure out the origin of it. So I apologize to anybody that wanted a bigger answer to this. I just didn't care. Like, it sounds bad. Yeah. But, well, I guess yeah. the roots of it are kind of muddy of where it originally came from. Yeah. Like, I think it was kind of a word of mouth thing that was first published in like the thirties. And then every couple of years it would just get, kind of recycled into a new collection of short horror stories. And I, I think the last one was uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. So I, I I don't think there is a really clear answer of where this came from. It's just, it's a good campfire ghost story. You know, you could, you could pretty much make up this story with different characters and tell it in a campfire for kids. You know, it's just one of those uh, type of things. So I, I I don't know who you'd give credit to. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. Um, So this episode and uh, nothing in the dark were actually completed during the second season. So they were actually shot and done. And um, there was, there were some weird things about how they, they were going to put it in the third season, but they had to be aired in the first half of the third season for like, yeah, well, I, I read that this one was uh, initially thought to be the, uh, the, the start of the season. Yeah, they were yeah the first this, episode yeah. of the season, which yeah. would have been a terrible idea. And I'm so happy they led with two with Charles Bronson. You know, I agree. It's just that there was there, there was a reason why these had to be shown before the end of the year because the way they were produced. I forget why. Um, and maybe we'll get into nothing in the dark and now do an explanation for that. But these were actually completed before the third season began. So as much as we're talking about this third season kind of having a different feel, this one, you know, it, I don't know where to put it. You know, like it was clearly finished during the the previously stressful run of season two, whenever Rod Serling referred to himself as a sack of potatoes rotting in the sun, you know, and also talking about uh, two being the, the last time that we saw uh, the director and writer uh, Montgomery Pittman. He actually did this one before, two. you know, so. Like it's just hmm. it's interesting to see not that the, not that the, each one informs each other it's just that that this was like his first one technically where he actually had complete control over the directing and the writing and, but then two is a much stronger out you know output I just it's it's it it's fine what it is and, and this was aired during Halloween because it was supposed to be the spooky one and I think it was perfectly good for the air date. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I'm just shocked. Like Montgomery Pittman never went on to direct or write like some good action movies or crime films in the seventies or late sixties. Cause just based on the episodes we've seen from him so far, he's had some of the like greatest tough guy actors ever (laughs) to be on film. You know, we had two of Charles Bronson and now we got Lee Van Cleef and Lee Marvin. Um, uh, will of real Martian, please stand up. Who was in that one? 
Yeah, John Hoyt. I guess he's kind of tough. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Barney you Phillips. A, you had a, yeah. <laughs> oh, you had what's his face? Right uh, a weird eye guy. What was his name? Um, yeah, Barney Phillips. Was it Barney? Not Barney Phillips. The other guy. The one that was the the uh, oh yeah the yeah that guy. The guy um, from What's Upon Time in the West. <laughs> yeah, Jack Elam. That's his name. Jack yeah, Elam. Jack Elam. Yeah. Like, why didn't you have he popped up in something recently too? I was watching. And I was like, oh, it's Jack Elam. <laughs> why did Why did he ever lead an action movie? I don't know. Like, um, you know, it'd be called Out of the Corner of My Eye. It would be called anyway. So, Jesus. <laughs> I feel like Jack Elam would appreciate that joke, so I'm okay saying it. Not really. He probably would. He probably would. Um, all right. Funny. So here, here's the the brief story that we've been kind of like hinting at that. Uh, um, <clears throat> I'll read this. This is from. Uh, Sorry, I can't get it out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> the Twilight Zone companion from Mark Scott Zakri. Uh, so he has a quote from uh, George Clemens, who was a director of photography on this episode. He said, We had a guy who was a little too heavy on the bottle. We weren't going to use him between four and the night. Uh, so he spent uh, time over at a bar very close to MGM. When we started that night, he was so rough on the horse. I knew it. He backed the uh, he backed the horse right up into a picket fence, and then both of them went through it. And I thought he was going to kill himself. He got out and wanted to work, so we had to call the night's work off. I told Buck, I says, "Fire the son of a bitch. Just recast him." But they wouldn't go for it, and we went on. It eventually ended up being a very fine picture. This is him, Lee Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> so he got drunk on a horse and fell through a fence. And the director of photography is like, "I don't know who this guy is. Get rid of him." And they're like. No, like it's Lee Marvin. And so then there's another story. I don't have word for word, but after that incident, though they didn't specifically say this incident, uh, Marvin actually, like, uh, he spoke to everybody and was like, I apologize. Let me show you what I can do tomorrow. And then the majority of what we saw, him in the bar, and like a lot of those scenes were shot the next day after a rough night of drinking and falling off a horse. Like, so think about that. Like, as much as as much as we know he was a hard drinker, like you, you wouldn't know it from his performance. And then the ironic line of, I don't get my courage from a bottle. Like I just, he just came out and was like rectifying the embarrassing situation the night before. So yeah, credit to him. It's like, it's like a lot of those old actors that were real heavy on the bottle, you know, like Oliver Reed, one of my favorite (laughs) actors, yes, notoriously, probably the biggest drunk ever, (laughs) uh, ever in the world. Um, like a lot of times when you watch movies, you cannot even tell like that. He just drank 12 bottles of wine before it came on set. Like it just, it doesn't come through. Yeah. So I mean, even it, it, like Lee Van Cleef had problems too, but you know, obviously yeah. it wasn't a, a, like as evident and you know, in this episode. Uh, but yeah, it just, it just as much as that's a problem and you know, it's a problem credit to them to, for him to be like, I got to get my shit together and I'm going to, I'm going to act the hell out of this now and salvage the entire operation. Cause he could have, he could have derailed the entire production, you know? And I like, yeah. I like that the director of photography didn't know who he was. It was like, who's this drunk on a horse? Get him out of here. It's like, Oh, he's the lead <laughs> actor of the episode. Well, all right then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. crazy. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy. The whole horror Western genre is, uh, very slim as far as, uh, viewing so yeah i'm glad to be able to add something although it's not a film if i were to show somebody like horror western this is something i might break out like in between movies um like that because there's really not much out there i'm trying to think like there's uh i just watched last year curse of the undead from 1959 which is like a vampire western Hmm. um 
I have a Mexican movie called The Living Coffin, which isn't very good. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, there's The Burrowers recently. There's Bone Tomahawk recently. Um, there's the Django. Um, which one is that? <laughs> uh, with the Django horse bomb. Django Kill, If You Live, Shoot is the name of the Yeah, film. like that with one's the, got some horror horse influence and yes. everything. But like... <laughs> The horror western is really delegated to just being a, uh, it just it's, it's it's kind of a novelty. There's not really much out there. I, I know there's a lot of uh, novels and stuff that kind of delve into the weird western thing, but I'm just glad to have something else on film that I can watch not, whenever I need that horror western itch. Yeah, not to, not to tip my hand too much because I'm I'm about to delve into something that I have not seen yet. But uh, the Dark Tower book series from Stephen King, there's a lot of weird western stuff in there too. So you're right, like it could be done. And, and when I say this, because I have not actually watched the movie, I love I love the book series. I bought the movie. I'm going to watch next week. Bear with me. Like wish me luck, everybody. <laughs> I love the, I love the book so much that I have not watched the movie in a year. Um, but I love. I, I do love the whole weird Western in the sense that like you have this sense of honor and code, but then there could also be just other agents at work. Like, I don't know how to describe that. Like there's, yeah, that don't live know. by any code yeah. that humans do, you know, <laughs> or society at all, you know, like curse of the undead. It's well, just and, a and vampire also, enters into a fifties Western. Well, and then the idea of the, the wild West as we know it in terms of being presented in cinema and, you know, in TV and whatever is the edge of law, right? Like, like, um, and so we, you mentioned the man who shot Liberty Valance, who like Lee Marvin, Strother Martin and Martin, Marth Martin, Strother Martin and Lee Van Cleef were all in that, which came out six mm-hmm. months after this movie, this TV show, by the way. So they were on the up and up with that film. That film dealt with, um, the edge of law, like as in that town was being, um, it was, they wanted the ranchers out and like the, the cattlemen out and they wanted to, to set up like, you know, a piece and they were on the very edge of like the, like the wild chaos. And when we think of Westerns, we think of frontier justice and, um, all bets are off. And you mix that in with horror where literally like horror can be nothing makes sense. Well, in this case, yeah. all bets are on yeah. so. $20 gold pieces. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, like you take, you take the chaos of what we think the wild West was, which is probably not entirely accurate, but that's what the romanticized version of the West. Yeah. And then you yeah. get like the, 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 there's no rules to horror. It, it is surprising that there isn't, there isn't more entries into the genre. And, yeah. Like I said, yeah. in literature, there's a lot of it. Like yeah. there are a lot of novels and stuff that have been written in the weird Western genre. But it's just the movie. I, I know John Wayne did one too, real early one. Um, I can't remember the name of that film, but like it's just it drives me crazy that there's not more out there. Yeah, well, because I feel like the ones that are they they lean more horror than they do western, and I feel like that kind of misses the point. I, I yeah. just I don't know. Like there was the the Wesley Snipes one, what Gala Walkers from a few years ago. Like it's just mm. you know it's just you put on you put on the clothes of a western and you're going to just have a horror movie, which I guess that's fine. But I feel like if you're going <laughs> to, there is a fine line, and you'll have my interest the entire time if you can have what makes a western work and what also makes horror work. But don't just say, oh, it's just a monster movie that happens to have six shooters. Like, I don't care about that. You know, like that seems to be. Yeah, it's kind of like Burrowers. That's basically Tremors just set in the West. Yeah. Which is a great movie. Like, I really enjoy that JT uh, 
Petty film. I can't remember the director's name, but that's that's a fun one from a few years ago. But yeah, it definitely is basically Tremors set <laughs> in the West. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Haunted Gold, by the way, was the uh, the John Wayne sort of ghost movie <laughs> that, that you, you sure that that isn't what killed him versus Genghis Khan the, the haunted gold maybe that's um <laughs> not, not 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 no was it the Genghis Khan he played Genghis Khan right and uh yeah there's yeah. the uh oh my god we've talked about so yeah. many times on this. <laughs> the emperor that's not the name of the film but anyway yeah um haunted gold is what killed him we now know that so um yeah um I don't know. I guess the movie is called The Conqueror. By the, the Conqueror, <laughs> <laughs> Haunted Gold. It's gonna drive me insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got I got nothing else uh, for this um, other than you know we just now know that uh, there was a lot of drunk acting going on in this episode, and it seems it seems appropriate for a western. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll save my final thoughts uh, for the the twist rating. Yeah, <laughs> let, let's just get to the twist. So. I'm conflicted. I I gave it a three upon a second viewing in the sense that um, something bad would happen in the grave. Very obvious, but that it looked plausible, but with supernatural like bent to it. And then the, the way that the sister was going on about it, I didn't see that part of it coming. So I'll give it a three. Yeah. I, I really like that. You caught the uh, look at what the wind blew in like that. That's yeah. That makes this episode way creepier. Well, the whole episode is nothing but like just wind outside and wind and wind and everything. And it's like, but the fact yeah, that she it's, calls it's almost it out. like the wind is a stand in for the ghost. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I didn't really get that watching it, but now talking <laughs> about it, like it kind of respect the episode a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'll I'll give it a two. Just the explanation that uh, Lee Van Cleef gives and everything. And you knew something was going to happen up there. He wasn't going to walk back into town without anything happening. So <laughs> yeah. it really wasn't shocking or anything. Um, but this episode is, I, I really enjoyed it. It's fun. It's great performances. It has a great look to it. Like I said, the set design, the cemetery and the Western town and everything just checked a lot of boxes for me. Absolutely. And, I saw that. Coming. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would definitely show this one. Like I said, uh, maybe it's just cause I'm, I really want more horror Western that, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of letting things go with it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit, but the twist, uh, not so much, but I do like, I, I do like this wind discussion now. <laughs> I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch this. Uh, I, for some reason, so I can check I, up on that. I soak up foreshadowing. Like I just like whenever it's like subtle foreshadowing and you go back, you're like, Oh, they were being, they were telling you the entire time what was going on. I, I kind of dug it and I, you in, in, in credit to Montgomery Pittman, like he, he knew the story he wanted to tell and having, having that brief little like aside there that further clouds what actually is going on. And I, that on the second viewing, the episode set better with me. Cause the first time I'm like, that's it. But it felt better. Like, especially, yeah. especially knowing that Lee Van Cleef was going to talk <laughs> eventually made me feel happier <laughs> yeah. about the episode. Yeah. So I, yeah. I can see this episode growing on me, yeah. uh, the more and more I watch it. And unfortunately I only got to watch this one once. So, uh, some of that stuff was probably lost on me. So, yeah. So, all right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for the grave. So Kevin, how could people find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at strange podcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us uh, voicemails or feedback on there, uh, you can subscribe to us and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, 
Uh, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. And like I said, it would definitely help us out if you can rate and review us, especially on iTunes. So. Yeah, absolutely. So next week, uh, high point for the series. It's a good life is the episode. This is one of those ones that's going to probably make me have nightmares because we, when we eventually get to Twilight Zone, the movie, this was the redone segment that messed with me the most. So, uh, yeah. All right. So it's a good life. I'll read the, read the intro and then I'll tease what's going to happen next. Um, next week we borrow from the exceptional talent of author Jerome Bixby. It's an adaptation of what has been called uh, one of the most terrifying modern fantasies ever written. One of the most terrifying modern. I can't type right. So I messed it up. What you'll see is in a sense, a portrait of a monster's young boy. Next week's very special excursion in the twilight zone is called. It's a good life. I hope to see you then. Yeah, this is going to be one. This is one of those iconic twilight zone episodes that we kind of run into every so often that we feel that we should bring a guest on for. So we do have a guest coming on for it's a good life. Oh yeah. I didn't know we had a guest coming on. <laughs> well, it is my, uh, it's my co-host right now on invasion podcast. It's uh, Mr. Oh, that's right. Mr. This C. is King. episode eight. I didn't know he was coming on for episode eight. <laughs> um, and so oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I totally forgot. Uh, like, Oh, news. Sweet. I'm yeah. excited. So yeah, we're having Steve on the show. He has been not only it's like, he is he an awesome co-host on invasion. Uh, he has been a fan of strange highways for, like for a while. So, I was like, you know what? Because he always is commenting on the Facebook stuff, and he's always adding his his input. Like, why not have him on for one of the the high points of the series, right? So we're gonna have him on. It's a good life. It's gonna get weird. There's gonna be uh, people's heads on jack in the boxes or something. I don't. Whatever. It's gonna be a crazy time, but it'll be fun to talk to him and get his perspective on the Twilight Zone and have a fun yeah. discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. Finally, uh, I get to hunt down a short story again. Can I compare them? It's yeah. been a while since we've covered anything that was based on. I think we covered something that the short story was like unpublished and I couldn't find it. <laughs> uh, but this one, I already found it. So perfect. There we go. Perfect. All right. So yeah, that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, so yeah, be safe. Um, don't take any bets to go stab. Uh, well, no, let me rephrase. If you go take a bet to go stab a, a knife in a grave, don't wear a coat. That that's gonna be my suggestion. Just wear wear tightly fitting clothes. That I'm way, just the gonna wind... go naked into the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can go wrong doing that. <laughs> You didn't let me finish what I was going to say, Connie. I don't think you're a coward. Leastwise, I don't think you're afraid of anybody in this room. Especially not me. I'm just a poor old boy. I work hard for not too much. But dogs and kids, they like me. They follow me around all the time. <laughs>